This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. What is the world like today for the people who are frequently shocked, challenged and been at the forefront of changes that many see as outrageous? Are the rainbow people still changing their world for the better? I'm Malcolm Angus. Welcome to Outrageous, the program that investigates, supports and advocates for the rainbow people of New Zealand. Good day, listeners. Once again to The Outrageous Show with Malcolm Angus. And today, I'm very pleased to say I have a wonderful guest who has been nominated and won the Mr Gay New Zealand 2021. And his name is Bharat Mahajan. And um, Bharat works in uh, mental health services for Pinnacle. And um, I want to talk to Bharat as though I hardly know him, which is the truth. I don't know him. But I did see a um, news article about him, and he has very kindly said that he will talk to me for half an hour. Welcome, Bharat. Malcolm. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Not at all. Tell me about winning this award. Um, so, I mean, I, I have been thinking about it for a while. So it started um, a few years ago, and um, every year I would see the winners, and you know, um, but never really had the time to commit. Because once you, if you win, um, there is, you know, um, you have to, you need time to commit, and um, you know, um, make the most of this title. So um, this year, I guess. Unfortunately, unfortunately, can thank COVID, where I did find um, the time to commit. So I finally gathered my courage and applied for the the competition, um, and then got shortlisted for the final. Um, I guess at, at that time, just being shortlisted as a finalist was was a good enough kind of um, um, you know reward for me. Um, and then I guess winning was just another. I mean, that was on another level, um, and I. Seriously, didn't expect to win, but um, yeah. So when they announced the winner, I, I keep rewatching my um, video, and I just <laughs> I can I can see that how shocked I was. Um, yeah, so it's kind of in a nutshell how I applied, and um, so there is about six um, different competencies that you know you go through, um, uh, which um, consists of from public speaking to fundraising, um, there is a one-on-one interview, um, then there is opinion piece, um, there is um, um, photo shoot, and there is a, even a written exam um, that we all had to do, all the finalists. So, um, yeah, on the day of the day out, which was on the 14th of Feb, um, they announced the winner on the stage, and yeah. What, uh, I, I see the organisation seems to call itself MGNZ, um, yeah. Are they um, a standalone organisation, or do they belong to a larger organisation? Um, they are a standalone organisation, but they have affiliation with, you know, the Gay Nation Express magazine, um, and um, yeah, so so they are they have got their, I guess, you know, partner organisations. 
But Mr. Gay New Zealand, so MGNZ, is 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 the organisation that actually um, came up with this idea of having this competition. And um, initially, they started with doing it as a normal competition, um, like a beauty pageant. Um, but again, a few years ago, they changed the whole um, design of the competition. And I think, um, pretty sure, New Zealand was the first um, um, country to change their Mr. Gay, um, like you know, regional, I mean, national competition changing it from a, you know, your quintessential beauty pageant to more of a leadership qualities, um, engagement within the community, the difference and the the changes you will make with the title. So, um, yeah, so it got changed from a your traditional beauty pageant to a more of a leadership community, um, you know, integration kind of competition. And hence why there is no kind of... Um, swimsuit round or, 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 you know, um, and, and nothing that um, they, even when we got our emails for, um, you know, these are the criterias and nothing in there said about you have to dress a certain way, your hair should be a certain way, um, you have to look a certain way, I think looks weren't part of the entire competition. Mm-hmm. Um, now, having um, reached this, which I think will be a small pinnacle of your achievements. I, I suggest that you're going to go on to much bigger and greater things. Um, tell me how you got to this point. What is your life story? Um, so I guess um, it's not just until July. I guess a lot of people. Um, so life story is, um, well, I was born in India, um, you know, to um, Indian traditional cultural family. Um, however, I guess just you know, even even back in those days, my mother has um, has been that person who's never really followed any tradition or um, has kind of been the rebel in her family. So I, I guess I get that from her. Um, so we moved to New Zealand. I was um, very young, probably about seven. Um, so grew up in Rotorua, um, and you know, um, schooling and everything happened there. Um, and I guess just being. A, I was, you know, um, born in a very traditional kind of family, um, I guess extended family. Mum didn't really care, but they were uncles and aunties or, you know, just people. Um, so when I kind of came out, um, I didn't really have to come out because mum kind of knew. But when I came out to the extended family, I guess there was this, um, you know, this feeling of rejection that I felt from others which kind of made me to move out of home very early. So I was 15 when I moved out of home. That's um, very early. To, yep, yep. So I guess it partly was because of the rejection and, and you know, people um, within the family or extended family or, you know, would tell me that, you'd, you know, you'd never be good enough. And um, so all those kind of stuff has been part of my growing up. Now I can say today in retrospect, um, those people actually helped me to A, become resilient, um, B, you know, um, attitude that I have never give up um, and um, if you charge then you know it will get the result um, but at the time there was a lot of rejection um, school I mean there was a lot of bullying at that time as well I mean Rotorua is not known for um, very rainbow friendly kind of um, you know um, um, especially back in those days um, things have changed of course now but um, yeah so I decided to move out of home and um how did got, you live my, how did i sorry how did you live at the age of 15 moving out how did you find shelter oh so i kind of uh, it was a safe safe kind of risk i moved um in with my stepsister um which was probably about five k's away from home 
um, I just didn't want to live with them. And I used to, at 15, I got my first job, which was I used to babysit for my stepsister um, and look after the um, my uh, niece. And so I used to get a little bit of money for that. Um, luckily, I didn't have to pay a lot of rent. Um, I just would help with, um, you know, groceries and cooking and cleaning. So those were kind of my chores. Um, I was still at school. Um, and then I found a job at New World in Rotorua. So that was my kind of first, you know, official job um, just before I turned 16. Um, yes, I finished my schooling and um, got into nursing. So... Um, People, people don't just um, borrow. Can I just uh, interrupt you? Sorry, but people just don't get into nursing. Um, yeah. There must be something driving you. Um, you. You must have had a sense of compassion or concern for others. Yeah. Um, and particularly to get into the nursing field. Did you have a role model that you had noticed in your life that you thought, I'd like to be like that? Um. I, luckily, I was really, really good at studies, so mm-hmm. that that kind of helped. You know, just just being um, the plan was always to become a doctor, so that was the ah, kind of aspiration okay. yep. since I was really young. Yep. Um, I've got a few doctors in the family, um, and again, as a as an Indian child, and I, I, <laughs> I, I um, I'm sure that Indian um, kids would relate um, to this. Is that the parents don't ask you what you want to become; they tell you what they want you to become. Um, and my kind of telling was that you know you will he'll be a doctor. Um, so that was kind of like I always wanted can help, um, even when I was four, mm. you know, playing with those little. Um, Dr. Six that come. Um, oh, yes. So, yeah, it was yeah. always health. But um, just looking around and looking at the lives, I guess, um, um, unfortunately, I didn't have a really good role model of a, of a doctor because all I saw was my, my cousin, um, you know, working at um, Lakes DHB, um, just doing um, all these shift work and um, didn't really have time, would miss all the family functions. So that kind of put me off from doing that and then plus when I when I saw that oh you have to study for five years and there's another you know um, six you years study for another, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you keep on studying yes. um, so that kind of didn't really um, entice me um, nursing how that happened was um, A I had um, so my sister said the time was, was studying nursing um, and she would talk about all these you know cool things and um, actually having the time to sit with the, with the patients and, and spend time with them um, mental health again was I knew that I wanted I, I was always good with people um, I liked hearing stories I liked um, you know talking to people um, you know and, and hearing the stories um, sometimes giving advice or um, helping so um, that kind of was always um, was part of me growing up and, and my um, I guess values or um, you know attitude and um, so yeah so nursing was kind of I didn't have a role model as such. Um, I guess more at the time nursing, I had some exposure to my, um, you know, family. And um, one of my aunties, my mum's sister, she is also a nurse and um, spoke really highly of the profession nursing. Um, I think at the time when you were um, 18, I think I was, when I got into nursing, um, it was... 50% I would say was about, yep, I, I like the profession, I think I can do it, I have got the skills. The other 50% was, was um, to be brutally honest, was survival. I wanted to find a job, 
nursing was a good enough profession that you will find a job easy. The money was good because um, at the time I just wanted to like rent my own house, you know, live my own life really. Um, also, I was thinking about moving to Auckland at the time. Um, so, yeah, it was a mix of both. Were, um, were you, were you studying in Rotorua as well? Yes, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so so you, 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 um, you became uh, very quickly uh, a registered nurse in, in whatever the period of time was. What is that, two years, three years? Uh, three years, yeah, three, three years. years, bachelor's degree. And, um, and, and I was, yeah. And then you moved into what sort of nursing? Well, I tried um, with mental health. Um, it was straight away. Initially, when I got into nursing, I was thinking of going into ED or um, even CCU, cardiology was something um, I really enjoyed. Um, but in my third year of nursing, still as a student, um, they, um, you know, we do placements. And I was placed into the mental health inpatient unit at um, Lakes BHB, so Rotoro Hospital. Um, and that was my first kind of exposure of an inpatient setting. Um, and I still remember my preceptor um, was was one that actually really sold me on the idea of mental health nursing. Um, what I saw was um, mental health nursing is, is different to, you know, general nursing. It's it's not very task-oriented, whereas the general nursing is very task-oriented. You also have time to sit with your, um, you know, um, clients, patients, whatever you want to call them. Um, you, you have the time to sit with them, even, um, you know, have the family come as part of the discharge plan meeting. Um, as a nurse, I mean, doctors want to um, hear the, about their progress. Um, you know, you have a lot of um, other things that are involved. You have a lot of NGOs working with, with the client. So you get that um, relationship building with, with the other providers uh, within the community. Um, there is, you know, social workers trying and coming and helping with um, either it's a benefit or, or housing. or So it's, it's a very multidisciplinary model that we work in mental health. Um, and so that was those were the things that actually sold me on mental health. Um, and I really didn't, uh, other, other placements, I never had the drive. I remember with my mental health placement because the uh, shift would start at 7 a.m. I would um, happily wake up at 5.30, would get dressed um, and always b be at my placement before time because I just was eager to learn more and, um, you know, just experience that whole um, awesome experience of working in a mental health inpatient setting. Um, have you touched on geriatric mental health at all? Um, so I worked for Bupa, um, and that was um, a, a secondment that I did, and um, but that was more on for the rehab, the rehab side. Mm -hmm. um, so long-term residential rehab facilities. Um, I had my placements when I was studying um, nursing um, at Restons. Um I was placed there in my first year and my second year. So I've had a fair bit of exposure, but I um, haven't really worked in, in um, yeah. So um, working with elderly people with dementia or Alzheimer's or, or you know, that, that um, terrible situation where um, people realise that their, their mind is um, not operating as well as it should be and there seems to yeah. be no stopping of it. Um, that is something that um, is not within your experience yet. Do you think you will move into that or you are happy and feel that you can do more within the area you are currently in? Um, I, 
I mean, I, I would, I, I never say no. So um, it would be, uh, um, you know, I guess I, I, I personally think I probably would need much more um, clinical skills before I um, walk into that field. Mm. Um, and yeah, because it's it's quite a specialized field. You're not just then you're not just talking about mental health, but also at the same time the physical health is you know deteriorating. Yes, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on. Um, there is a lot, you know, for, for some families, I can't speak for all, but, you know, not generalizing, but um, there are some damaged family, related, like, you know, there is not a lot of family support sometimes. Yes. Uh, people are kind of left alone. Um, so there is a lot of other things going on, um, not just mental health. So I think um, it's, it's quite a specialized area here. Yeah. Um, Bharat, where do you think or, or have you experienced where mental health and being a member of the Rainbow community uh, intersect. Have you seen that there are problems that keep reoccurring between um, mental health and being part of the Rainbow community? Or yeah, growing I up guess, as um, gay or, or transgender or any of those areas of... of um, difficulty that people experience as they transition or as they come to terms with being part being gay or lesbian or mm. part of the yeah. rainbow community where what's yeah. your feeling and, and experience of that i guess i mean um even talking from a lived experience kind of perspective of you know getting bullied at school um not wanting to go to school you know having trouble making friends and um trust issues because uh, you know, and and obviously social media. Thank, um, we can we can thank social media today that bullying is is not just now face to face. You know, there's cyber bullying um, as well. I guess working in mental health, one of one of the um, the other um, you know the reason why I chose mental health was because there, we we all know that there is lack of resources, workforce, um, and I can say this with experience. I've worked in mental health pretty much all my. Um, you know, career mm. now, um, and I've worked at, you know, um, three DHBs, um, and those are across, you know, um, Rotorua, Auckland, um, and Waikato. Um, so there is that need, um, and there are things that keep reoccurring. Um, I guess it, it starts, and this was one of the things that was very close to my heart when I applied for the competition. Um, I talk about uh, representation, and um, I think that needs to start from a ministry level and then have, would have the domino effect. Um, when you talk about, you know, taking steps, so say, for instance, um, the resourcing and the, and the funding for Rainbow Community, um, up until this year, um, which is still work in progress, we didn't even capture of um, the true population of our LGBTQ um, community. Um, and if we don't know how many people are there in this country that um, associate with the LGBTQ community, how are we then able to put appropriate funding towards that. Every paper that I've read over the years says um, between 5 and 16%, so that's their estimate. Um, we, we know it's more than that, because um, it's not, now we are not just talking gay, lesbian, transgender, but we've got bisexual, pansexual, you know, people who are gender fluid, um, people who are non-binary, so it's it's not just gay, lesbian, and transgender. It's, it's quite a... Um, community and um if we don't capture the population right then i guess the funding would never be right and will always be under resourced 
Um, so one of the things that are really close to my heart is, is leadership within the rainbow community and representation. Um, and also then we talk about rural areas of New Zealand, um, living in teams, which is, um, which, you know, is part of the rural community. Um, and, and again, just seeing the lack of resources, um, in the rural New Zealand, because, um, sometimes I guess we, we tend to forget that New Zealand doesn't just, Aotearoa is not just Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, you know, the big metropolitan cities, but, um, there are a lot of rural areas where resources are even, um, you know, um, are lacking um, more than what it is in, in the urban areas. Well, yes, so that's and, another, and, yes, and you're absolutely right. Um, my radio program was um, an exploration for me of the transgender people, particularly of the South mm-hmm. Island, and um, one of the people I interviewed was a transgender woman who lived in Invercargill but could only get medical services for herself in Dunedin. Right. There was no doctor who was willing to see her in in Vicargo. Yeah, absolutely. And these are the stories where people, you know, living in rural areas, now um, their issues, um, I I guess, you know, it adds more layers. As you said, you know, commuting. What if, you know, there there is no car or uh, travel is not possible or, you know, there's um, already people are struggling with funding, Um, especially with with our transgender community. um, I, um, because I've worked in mental health for, for such a long time, I also know that, um, there are, you know, venues for um, people who are struggling from mental health, right? And they, there is government funding for that, and you can go and get either counselling or psychology for that. Mm. Um, however, when we talk about transgender community, um, workforces is, is, is another issue on top of the resourcing, is that um, we, we don't have psychologists who, who specialise in working with transgender people um, and a psychologist who doesn't specialize and we, you know, is giving therapy to or um, sessions, talking therapy to a uh, person who is transgender, I guess they would never be able to, um, you know, um, give it their 100% because obviously there is that gap of not specializing or not understanding. Um, and then we talk about, you know, doctors, again, for, for in this area, for Waikato, I, we, we don't have one. Um, surgery, the wait list, all the kind of stuff that we talk about, then um, there are things that I guess um, even complicates the, the process further of when you are made to, you know, go through therapy to make sure that you are taking the right decision. Yes. I guess, yeah, there, there's a lot of barriers when it comes to, um, especially our transgender community. Yep. Bharat, I um, am really sorry that we only have this short time to talk because um, <laughs> you you are very busy. Um, the radio station has uh, limited time slots um, for me to grab. I would like to continue our conversation if I can and set up another date with you by telephone if that's possible um, because I'm really fascinated by what you've had to say, your own personal journey. And I'd like to know uh, in later when we talk again just where you think you are heading for if you do have a plan for yourself. But I would l- really like to congratulate you on your current achievement and the way that you have been recognised in the community and the work that you're doing. Um, I... I I believe that given who you are, as I said earlier on, I think you're going to go on to do some amazing things, not just um, for the rainbow community, but for the whole community of New Zealand.
thank you. Thank you, Malcolm. That, that means a lot. Thank you so much. So I appreciate that you've grabbed the time because you are at work, aren't you? And obviously your bosses are very proud of you too. And so we need to thank them for allowing you this flexibility. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Barat, thank you so much for giving me the time and to to my listeners. And I've been speaking to Barat Mahajan, who is a 28-year-old clinical services manager who is also Mr. Gay New Zealand for 2021. That's it for now, but um, I like my listeners. I will be talking to Baharat again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.